a negative belief is equally powerful to a positive belief in controlling your life, but in the opposite direction. A positive belief can heal you from any disease. A negative belief can cause you to get sick or die from any disease. And none of this had anything to do with the genes. Hi, this is Lauren Vaknin, and you're listening to the Reconditioned Podcast. I'm taking a little summer hiatus from recording, so in the meantime, I've dug out some of our most loved episodes from the archives to entertain and educate you over the summer. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear from guests such as Bruce Lipton, Jay Shetty, Emily Fletcher, and others, as well as some of the most downloaded Rise episodes. Wishing you a fabulous summer, and I will be back with a very expansive season 11 in the autumn. If you've been here a while, you'll know that I believe that we should get whatever we can in the way of nutrition through food. And where we can't get it through food, that's where we supplement. Now, in order to get myself from disabled to completely able-bodied, I had to be really specific and well-researched when it came to supplements, which is why I've been using Amrita Nutrition for the past decade, more than decade actually, to buy pretty much 95% of the supplements I take and recommend. Now, Amrita stock the highest quality brands using the highest quality non-synthetic ingredients. Most of these brands couldn't even be bought in the UK when I started taking them years ago, so Amrita have made it super easy and accessible. And the other great thing about Amrita is they offer personal support. So if you're not sure of which supplement to order, you can call them and they'll advise you. Now, they're usually a practitioner-only stockist, but you can buy supplements from Amrita now using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements. And once you set up an account, that 10% will be applied to every order. I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita to help you out with it, which you can find in the show notes or on my website by typing in Amrita. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for continuing to support our mission here at Reconditioned. So welcome back everyone to season eight of the Reconditioned podcast with me, Lauren Vaknin. It has been a minute. I basically took a little break to focus on creating something new and amazing, which you will be hearing all about very soon. And I also took a little break for the summer to be with my kids and just kind of focus on having some me time. But now I'm back and I'm back with potentially the most exciting season I have recorded Firstly, some incredible Rise episodes coming up. I know you guys keep asking for more of these. It's interesting, I always think that you guys just want guests, but actually the Rise episodes seem to get the most input from you guys. I get get the most amount of messages about those episodes, so I'm so happy that they are resonating with you. And I've really spent time getting together the most helpful content with those episodes to give you the very best kind of life coaching growth advice to help you on this journey. So the next episode you hear will be all about how to heal your inner child. So make sure to tune back in for that because it is really going to set you on that journey for healing your inner child. And there is no healing anything until you heal your inner child. So you will hopefully love that. But also you won't believe some of the guests I have on this season. I'm so excited about it. And 
That starts with the very incredible Bruce Lipton. Now, this is a real moment for me. I have been following Bruce's work for years. For me personally, he was the person who started the kind of work that Joe Dispenza has now taken to new levels. Like he was the predecessor here. He was, Bruce Lipton was the guy that discovered that cell biology is not a result of our genes, but that our environment will determine the expression of those genes. Learning about epigenetics for me really was one of the last missing pieces in my own journey from disability to wellness. So I can't wait for you to hear very expansive conversation and learn from Bruce. So some of the things we cover in this episode, why your genes are not your destiny how you can change your life by changing your beliefs, understanding cell biology and how this plays a part so that you can really make that choice to determine the health of the cells of your body, understanding the BRCA gene and why again that is not your destiny, conscious parenting and how we shape our children's beliefs to create more positive healthful outcomes for our children, what it means to think positively and much much more. So let me know your thoughts on the episode over on Instagram, I'm at at Lauren Vacneen and of course I always ask for that beautiful exchange of energy and that if you enjoy or benefit from this content please do consider sharing this with someone you think could benefit and of course by subscribing and rating the podcast as that really helps it to reach more people. I also want to say thank you to our partners for this season, Sensate. I contacted Sensate because I started using a Sensate after a friend introduced me to it at the Health Optimization Summit. It is a palm-sized device that uses infrasonic technology to stimulate the vagus nerve. And what that does is calm the autonomic nervous system. So if you are someone who suffers from anxiety or you find it hard to get into a meditation or to relax in any way, the Sensate is going to help you. And I contacted them because after I started using it, my meditations went to a next level. I'm talking next level depth, the way that I was able to relax, the way that I was able to just really go deep into my meditation, calms anxiety. It is amazing. So check that out in the show notes. Uh, They're over at getsensate.com. Thank you, Sensate. And okay, let's get on with the episode. My lovelies, thank you for choosing to be back here with me and enjoy this very powerful episode of Reconditioned. Bruce Lipton is a cell biologist and lecturer and an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University. He is the best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, The Honeymoon Effect, and co-author with Steve Behrman of Spontaneous Evolution. Bruce received the 2009 prestigious Goy Peace Award in Japan in honor of his scientific contribution to world harmony. Bruce, thank you so much for being here. I am so delighted to be here with you. You are an example of a person who has taken power back over your life and created something quite different than what people expected. Thank you. But that was in part down to your work and work of people like you. But really, for me, this is a moment for me because I read your book, I think it was about 15 years ago. Um, and I think it, it, it started this, this bit of belief that, oh, I really do have control over the cells in my body. And it was my intro into kind of epigenetics, but it goes deeper than that, right? It, it goes right to the core of why we're even here. Right. How did we get here? Why are we here? 
most people have no idea. They probably think it's so we could work every day and be, you know, work really hard. And I go, no, that wasn't the intention of being here. The intention of being here was to recognize how beautiful this place is, mm. how beautiful it is to be alive, how wonderful it is to have all of our senses and have them experience all the wonderful kinds of things we can have in the world, you know, mm. music and food and, you know, uh, visions and all kinds of wonderful things. That's why we're here. People know it's nine to five. <laughs> I'm working right. nine to we five. Lose sight. Well, we lose sight of it. Yeah, they, they miss the whole reason at some point. Absolutely. I completely agree. So before I get on to um, everything, and there's so much, I always start with the question for my guests of what have you done so far today to support your wellness? Uh, I woke up. <laughs> that was a great start, you know. Uh, I wake up uh, being in love, love with mm. life, love with my partner, love with my community. The idea is I'm here as enjoying as much as I possibly can. Uh, it reminds me of uh, my, my stepfather. Uh, my mother married later in life and she married this guy and I thought he was kind of a grumpy old kind of guy anyway, you know. Uh, and he, he was like 97 years old when uh, he, he was dying of cancer. My mother took care of him at home, didn't send him to the hospital. And for the last like few days of his life, he was not really there. And then just about two days before he died, he was like, their eyes open, alert and everything. And he said to her, he said, I didn't have any fun. Oh, that's a 75, you know, 90, 97 years. Uh, and then come to the last couple of days of your life and say, I didn't have any fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like, I'm not going there. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to enjoy every possible day I can. Uh, because people don't realize that we're here for experience. We're here for feeling and seeing and loving and, and enjoying the environment that we live in. It's so beautiful. And yet most people don't see the environment except a little bit between rush hours. They're driving to work or they're driving home from work and they look and go, oh, look, sunlight. And then they're back in their house again. And I said, well, you missed another day on, uh, you know, actually my vision is people think you die and go to heaven. And I really have a whole different attitude about that. I, my vision is you were born into heaven mm. and and i say well why would this be heaven i say well what is heaven oh it's a place of creativity where you can create what is your version of heaven what is your version of heaven it's everybody's own personal creation i go and guess what this is where you came to manifest that creation mm. uh, and uh, most people have given up the control of their lives uh, and perceive themselves to be victims uh, of the world victims of their own genes <laughs> victims yeah. of environment and all this and it turns out well that's completely wrong <laughs> because we are the masters and creators of this and there's a whole different idea of being alive as a victim versus being alive as a creator <laughs> has a whole different meaning to it absolutely i've learned this myself in my own journey about just you know really taking control of the idea of i am the master of my destiny and it's kind of a hard one to grab hold of when you've been in the matrix of you know you have to rely on everyone else you know and this is kind of what i try to preach that like we have to take responsibility for ourselves for our children oh, oh use the big word responsibility, responsibility. People do not like that word. Nobody wants responsibility. Even the president of the United States. Oh, I'm not responsible. I go, well, who the hell are you then? You know, it's like, who's responsible around here? Nobody wants to be responsible. 
But the beautiful part is you found out, as I found out, is that when you do become responsible, then you do have an ability to influence and shape the life experiences you have. If you feel that you're not responsible and that you're just a victim of these things, then unfortunately, you've lost the whole reason for mm-hmm. being here. So let's talk about how you did find out, because obviously, I like I said, you know, biology of belief was a major part of my healing of like, whoa, hold on. OK. And just through reading it, I was like, I started meditating and thinking and kind of visualizing myself doing different things. So it was it was a major moment for me, genuinely, genuinely. So I'd love for you, for those who haven't read it yet, and for anyone who hasn't, please go and buy it right now. I'd mm-hmm. love for you to get into as a cell biologist, what it was you discovered. Okay, well, as a cell biologist, I was teaching in the medical school, professor in medicine, uh, dealing with uh, the nature of how cells work, genetics and all that kind of stuff, and teaching the conventional line to medical students at that time, conventional curriculum, uh, was based on the fact that genes control the character of our lives. It was a, a belief referred to as genetic determinism, the belief that genes determine the character of your life. Well, I was teaching that, okay? And I'm going to have to say, what was it, what, is, what is the deeper consequence of teaching that? On the surface, oh, yes, genes control your life, blah, blah, blah. And I go, we have, give me the deeper meaning. And the deeper meaning is this. As far as we know, you didn't pick the genes you came with. And if you don't like the characteristics, you can't change the genes that you came with. And then, of course, we teach people that genes turn on and off and in the process control your life. I say, put those together. And what you have is that you are a victim of your heredity, meaning, oh, my God, there's a cancer running in my family and I could get the cancer gene. Then I can get the cancer. Now I'm living in fear because that cancer gene is round and all that. And people uh, start to really feel themselves as not in control of their own biology that their genes control them and they had nothing to do with selecting or activating those genes. And I go, well, that's the belief system. In the laboratory, I was doing research at the time cloning stem cells. So first a little introduction, what are stem cells? Well, before we even say that, when you look in the mirror and see yourself in the mirror, uh, you see yourself as a single entity. And I go, well, that is actually an illusion because you're made out of 50 trillion cells the cells are the living entity. You, by absolute definition, are a community of cells, okay? So I say, well, what's relevant about that? And I go, well, every day, normal attrition, normal death, we lose hundreds of billions of cells every day. The skin cells are continuously sloughing off. The digestive tract, the whole lining from mouth to anus, the, the cells lining that whole structure all the way down are replaced every three days. I go, well, there's a lot of replacement going on here. So where, where are the cells coming from that are replacing all the dead cells? I go, because in our population of 50 trillion cells, there are cells called stem cells. I say, oh, what's a stem cell? And I go, well, actually, the name of a stem cell before you were born was called embryonic cell. So if I did a tissue biopsy uh, of you a minute before you're born and I say, look, see, this is an embryonic cell. And then I wait a minute after you're born, do the same biopsy, look at the same cell. And I go, oh, that's a stem cell. So you're born, I can't call it embryonic cell, but it is an embryonic cell. And these embryonic cells are scattered through your body and their job is to replace 
the cells that die every day, hundreds of billions of cells every day. And I go, okay, uh, I take one of these embryonic cells, which are potentially anything, skin, bone, muscle, brain, any, you know, anything they can become because they're embryonic cells. I take one embryonic cell, put it in a Petri dish by itself. This process is called cloning. And I say, well, what does that mean? I say, well, I put one cell in addition that divides every 10 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, then there's eight, and it doubles, 16, 32, 64. At the end of the week, I have 30,000 cells in the Petri dish, but only one, there was only one parent. So I say, well, what's the point? 30,000 genetically identical cells. I take that dish with 30,000 cells and split the cells into three dishes with 10,000, 10,000, and 10,000. So I have three culture dishes, each with 10,000 cells, but all the dishes are genetically identical. Now comes the point of like, you grow cells in a laboratory in a fluid called culture medium. I said, what is culture medium? I say, the laboratory version of blood. If I grow human cells, I say, what's human blood made out of? And then I take the chemistry of that, mix it all up, and that's called culture medium for human cells. Mouse cells, well, I look at mouse blood, see what that has, etc. So I have three dishes, genetically identical cells. But here's what I did. I changed the chemistry just slightly in the culture medium. So while there were three dishes, each dish has its own little personal environment just slightly different chemistry than the other two. And I say, okay, so I have three dishes, identical cells, but three different environments. And I say, in one dish, the cells form muscle. The second dish, the cells form bone. And the third dish, the cells form fat cells. Now I'm left with the most important question. Well, what controlled the fate of those cells? What controlled them? And I go, they were all genetically the same. It was the environment that was slightly different. Okay, it's like, oh, then the genes were not selected by the cell. The genes were selected in response to the environment that the cells were in. Change the environment, change the genetics. I go, oh, we used to think that genes controlled all this. Now, my research showed it was the culture medium, the environment that controls the genes. Now, one last step in the whole world changes, and I go, I said you were uh, an entity composed of 50 trillion cells. So the joke is you are a skin-covered culture dish inside your skin, 50 trillion cells. Yes, but guess what? You have the original culture medium. Inside your body, you have the original culture medium. It's blood. And I say that the, then I say, so what's the point? I say, it's the chemistry of the culture medium that controls the fate of the cells. It doesn't make a difference, and this is the point, if the cell's in the plastic dish or the cell is in the skin-covered dish, it's still the chemistry of the culture medium that controls genes, not the genes controlling themselves. So now we're coming down to the big issue. I say, well, the cells in my skin-covered dish are in a culture medium called blood. Who controls the chemistry of the blood? Because the chemistry of the culture medium is what controls the genes. And I go, the brain is the chemist that puts the chemistry into the blood. Now comes the biggest aha of my whole life. And said, so what chemistry should the brain put into the blood? And the answer is, blow away. The answer is this. 
whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates the picture into complementary chemistry. If I have a picture of love in my mind, I feel love. My brain is releasing wonderful chemistry, dopamine, pleasure for being in love, oxytocin, bonding with your partner in love, uh, growth hormone. Ha! What does that do? Well, it does what it says. It enhances your growth. I go, coincidence. When you're experiencing love, you have more vitality. When you're experiencing love, they say, oh, look how in love they are. See how they glow. That glow of vitality is the chemistry of the blood affecting the genetics and behavior of the cell. I say, but if that same person all of a sudden has a picture of fear, then I say, oh, well, love chemistry doesn't come from a picture of fear. There's fear chemistry. That's a different chemistry. And it has stress hormones in it and things that affect the immune system. So I say, if I'm looking at the world in love, I have one chemistry. If I'm looking at the world in fear, I have a different chemistry. And it's the chemistry that controls my genetics. And all of a sudden it says, oh, then wait, my thoughts are the control of my chemistry. If I have positive, wonderful thoughts, then I'm putting in healing chemistry in my body. But if I have fear or anger or issues like that, I put in different chemistry. I get, but it's the chemistry that controls the genes. And all of a sudden it's like, the genes don't control themselves. They go, no, there's no such thing as a gene turning on and off. That's a, that was a mistake. <laughs> genes don't turn on and off. Genes are controlled by the chemistry of the blood. And the chemistry of the blood is a complement to the consciousness. Point is simple. If I look at the world and joy and happiness and love, I'm fulfilling the chemistry of my body in the blood to go to my genes and enhance my vitality, enhance the character of my love. But if I'm thinking of negative, scary things, then the chemistry of that is also going to affect me genetically, but it's not going to enhance my life. It could cancel my life. Now, people say, oh, you mean your thoughts are controlling your life? And I go, hey, it's only been 100 years, but there's something called the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. I go, what's the placebo effect? I say, well, a person has an illness. A doctor says, here's the brand new, greatest new medicine ever created for you. And you take this pill and you get better. But then you find out the pill was a sugar pill. And I go, well, if it's a sugar pill, then what healed you? You ready? The belief in the pill. Mm -hmm. I believe I was going to get better. I took the pill. I got better. It wasn't the pill. It was my belief. So a positive belief about healing can manifest healing, placebo effect. Well, nice story, except that the most important part of that story is left out. And I go, what is it? And I say, well, placebo effect is a result of having a positive thought that healing is coming to me through surgery, through drugs, through whatever it is. I'm going to heal myself. I see it. I'm working on it. But then I said, but what about negative thinking? Like, oh, it's not going to work. Oh, things are going to get worse. Oh, the prognosis, uh, the doctor said that I have only three months left to live. And I go, these are negative beliefs. And here's the point. A negative belief is equally powerful to a positive belief in controlling your life, but in the opposite direction. A positive belief can heal you from any disease. A negative belief can cause you to get sick or die from any disease. And none of this had anything to do with the genes. All this had to do with was 
what was the thought? Because that thought was shaping the chemistry, which is then shaping genetics and behavior. And all of a sudden you say, you know, it's interesting that 60% of people's thoughts are negative and redundant, repeating the same negative things all over again. I go, well, then more than half of your life, you're not fulfilling a positive, wonderful heaven on earth thing. Half of your life, you're like, oh, it's not going to work. Oh, I'm going to get sick. Oh, I'm going to have a problem. Oh, this won't happen. I go, well, you're creating. And you can create from positive, but you can equally create from negative. And negative in our world today is the predominant consciousness. All you have to do is watch the news. How much of the news is, hey, folks, this is our most exciting world today and we're loving everything. That's great. Or, okay, today war broke out in the Ukraine and the climate change has caused the crops to fail in India and the blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh my God, I just watched the news. All I got was scary pictures. Scary pictures, scary chemistry. Scary chemistry, scary genetic activity. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of simple. Except it's hard for people to, to fully own this because we've been programmed to be victims and we become the victim, the program. So as you mentioned, Matrix, the movie The Matrix, uh, people think it's science fiction. I go, no, the movie The Matrix is a documentary. Mm -hmm. I go, what do you mean? I say, what was the premise that we were all programmed? I go, well, biologically, that's a true story. All children are programmed for the first seven years of their life. And that these programs then run 95% of your life. So in the movie, The Matrix, if you got bad programming, then 95% of your life, you're going to have bad behavior and bad consequences. So it turns out that the movie, The Matrix is right in that we've all been programmed. Okay. And then I love it because they offer the red pill. Mm, what's the red pill? Oh, you take the red pill and you get out of the program. Oh, what would happen? I go, well, most everybody out here in our audience today has taken that red pill at one point. Like, what do you mean? You, you took this red pill and your life changed in 24 hours. And I go, what was that pill? Falling in love is the equivalent of the red pill. I go, why is that? I say, because when you're falling in love, you stop playing the programs that you got in that first seven years. Then when the programs stop, stop, then your creative conscious mind is now the programmer. And the creative conscious mind has wishes and desires and things that you want. And I say, the moment you fall in love, you stop playing the limiting programs that you played your whole life. And in 24 hours, your whole life is upside down. Now you're in a honeymoon. Oh, heaven on earth. I fell in love. Everything is beautiful. The food's beautiful. The music, even the crummy job, that's not so bad. Everything, it's changed. I said, what did it change? The world changed? I go, no. Your response to the world changes. Your perception changes. You went from blah, blah, blah. And in 24 hours later, you had honeymoon. I go, what the hell is a honeymoon? I go, heaven on earth. You experience heaven on earth. I go, oh, was it hiding back there? And I get a chance to experience it. I say, no, it's always there. The only reason you can't experience it is because 95% of your life is not coming from the creative conscious mind, wishes and desires mind. It's coming from the subconscious mind programs. And most of those programs are negative. 
So the result is we struggle through life, not because we have to, but because we are always playing these programs. And I say, well, what happens when you fall in love? I say, you stop thinking. And go, so what? I go, the conscious mind is the creative mind, but it also can think. I go, so what? I say, if the conscious mind's looking out at the world like you're driving a vehicle and the conscious mind is looking out the windshield and say, I want to go here and I want to go there and I want to do this, you're driving, you can do what you want. But the moment the conscious mind is thinking, here it is, ladies and gentlemen out there in the world, you want to know it, here it is at this moment, I'm going to tell you, the moment you are thinking, the conscious mind is not looking out at the world. A thought is inside. So I say, look, Lauren, today's Tuesday. And I say, oh, Lauren, tell, tell me what you're doing on Thursday. Now, at first you might go, boom, I'm not really sure. But then in a moment you'll think, and you say, oh, Thursday, I've got to do this and this and this. I say, where'd you get that answer? Well, I was thinking it was inside. I go, that is the problem. I say, what do you mean? I say, well, if you're driving the vehicle, you have to look out the window. <laughs> But if your conscious mind is not looking out the window, it's now looking inside. Then I say, then who the hell's driving the vehicle when you're thinking? I go, oh, the program, it's automatic. It's autopilot, steps in. The moment you're thinking, you're not looking out the window. Thinking is inside. So the subconscious takes over. And I go, but the programs in the subconscious didn't come from you. You downloaded them by observing other people in that first seven years. So when you were thinking, fact, you are not creating your life with your conscious mind because conscious mind is thinking. And I go, then when I'm thinking, then the subconscious is in charge. I go, absolutely it is. And then here comes, how much time do we spend thinking? 95% of the day. And I go, so simple conclusion, Lauren, after all of that talky talk stuff, it says, only 5% of the day are you creating the life that you want from the conscious creative mind. And 95% of the day is the time you are spending thinking at which time your life is controlled by the programs, which you didn't put in there. And so 95% of the life you're experiencing is not even yours. You were programmed to experience that. And that's how kids grow up being like their parents, because in the first seven years, you watch your parents and your family and your community to say, how does it work? What do I need to do to become a member of this family? What, what kind of behavior must I have to be a member of that community? I say, a kid doesn't know, they're just born. I say, so how does a kid know? As I mentioned, the first seven years of a child's life is programming because the brain of a child for the first seven years is not at the higher vibration activity of consciousness. The brain of a child at seven is more uh, in a lower vibration than consciousness called theta. Uh, and I go, where, where does consciousness vibration theta come from? I say, when you put wires on a person's head to read their brain activity, it's called EEG, electroencephalograph. I'm reading your brain activity inside your head. I go, oh, well, the brain has different vibrations like an engine running, okay? Up to age seven, you're at a lower vibration than actually consciousness. It's called theta. Theta is characterized as imagination. I go, this is exactly what kids live in the first seven years. They mix the real world with the imaginary world seamlessly. Oh, we're going to have a tea party. Pour nothing into the cup. Drink nothing and go, that was the 
best tea I ever had in my life. Riding a broom. No, it's not a broom. It's a horse. I go, these are examples where the theta mindset is creating this uh, experience by mixing an imagination with a real world. But it's also hypnosis. So a child is downloading behavior for the first seven years by observing others. It can't read a book to say, how should I be a member of a family? What are the rules do I need to have for life? It's a kid, it's an infant, it can't read, but they can record by watching and downloading. So the brain is like a video recorder. For the first seven years, it's observing what are the behaviors necessary for me to be here in a family or to be a member of the community. There are behaviors and I learned them. So this is where the matrix comes in. It says, yeah, for the first seven years, you were downloading behavior because you couldn't read the book. <laughs> and, and you looked at parents and siblings and, fan, and the community and recorded their behavior because that was the normal supposed to be. And then now you're programmed, your subconscious has normal quote unquote behavior. And I go, well, Depends if your parents were normal. <laughs> you know, in my case, look, we learned our relationship stuff. My parents uh, had a dysfunctional relationship. Okay. But as a kid, I'm recording how do relationships work? I watch my mother, I watch my father, I see the behavior, the interplay, and I record that. Now I get older and I want to have a relationship. I say, well, how do I do it? I say, oh, I got a program. Mm -hmm. I go, Where'd you get that? I watched my father. And then I say, how come for 40 years, I couldn't get a relationship off the ground? And the answer was, well, in hindsight, if you observe my father's behavior, which was quite dysfunctional, then you, I didn't realize matrix, I'm playing those behaviors 95% of the day, and I'm sabotaging my life. It was only when I realized, oh my God, I have to change these behaviors that I downloaded, that once I did that, then I empowered my life. So instead of 40 some years of dysfunction in the last 25 years, I have been able to live honeymoon every day for 25 years. Why? I got rid of those negative programmings. And I say, for the audience out there, really is important, I go, well, how do you know what the hell your program is? And I say, because the issue is, when were you programmed? I say, you were even being programmed before you were born. You were being programmed in the last trimester of pregnancy. You were being programmed from age zero to age seven. So now comes the issue. I say, hey, Lauren, what program did you get when you were zero? I have no idea. Why? You weren't there. The conscious mind wasn't working. What program? You had a whole year programming zero to one. No idea what that program was. Okay, you had another whole year. From one to two, you were being programmed. What was that program that you got when you were one year old? Go, I wasn't there. And up to three, you were being programmed. Said, After three, you might have some memories of these experiences. But you have no memory of the experiences at zero, at one, and at two. I say, yeah, but these were all solid programs for every day of those years you were being programmed. And now comes the issue that people have to say, well, if my program is huh, controlling my life, what the hell are the programs? And then I go, cool, you ready? 
95% of your life is coming from the program. Your life is a printout of the programs that you got in the first seven years. I say, so what does that mean? I say, well, right now, look at your life. And here's how I want you to look at it. The things that you like that come into your life, well, they come in there because you have a program to acknowledge those things. But the things that you desire and wish for and you want to have in your life and you work hard to get there, stress over it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going after that prize. I'm working real hard. I'm sweating over it. I'm going to make it happen. I go, why are you working so hard? And the answer is just so simple. That destination that seems elusive that you can't get to so much is not supported by your program. Your program is sabotaging you. And in the process, you want to override the program so you work harder. I go, hey, Matrix folks, 95% of your life is still going to be that program, no matter how hard you want to work. Until you change that program, you are the program. And Lauren, you had a program when you came in. Then you had an opportunity to reevaluate. You were the one you can tell us. You did it. You reevaluated your life and changed your program, I presume. Uh, right? But my whole life, I was diagnosed before the age of two. So my programming should have been, I don't know life without illness, but my entire life, my mom kept saying to me, you will get better. You will heal. That we believe that there will be something that will eventually heal you. And she pro, I didn't consciously believe it because I was a negative pessimistic child because i grew up with this you know arthritis well, and i was program. different from everyone but she had programmed that into my subconscious so when it got to 18 where i had to make that decision i don't want to be disabled and i went to a very amazing holistic doctor who did kinesiology he said this is very strange because your body actually believes your subconscious believes that you can get better, which is really unusual for someone who's had an illness their whole life. So actually, my mom had given me that program. Right. Well, she, that was a very important part because most of us didn't have your mom. No. Most of us grew up with the negative consequences of, uh, let me give you the biggest issue, because it's a belief issue. And I say, our beliefs are converted into chemistry by the brain and the chemistry goes as blood into the body and adjusts the genetics and behavior. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Okay. Now the, the, the problem with all that, of course, is um, you are running your beliefs that you got from the program 95% of the day. And I say, why are you doing that? Why can't you be creating with your conscious mind? Oh, because you are thinking and the conscious mind is not now controlling the vehicle. The subconscious is autopilot and steps in, okay? Uh, and for most people, they get disempowered in that first seven years where their beliefs say you have no power. One of the most important ones is health. I go, why? For the average family, if there's a health issue in the family, uh, that person in the family goes to a doctor. For the average one, it's like, oh, I got a problem. I go to the doctor. Mommy goes, daddy goes, I go when we're sick. And I say, mm -hmm. this is the programming period in your life, first seven years. I say, what program do you walk away from with from this behavior? Meaning, I am sick. Oh, I go to the doctor. I say, what is the final program? You ready? And here it is. I'm not in charge of my health. No, victim the professional. 
the professional is in charge of my health. I, I give up control of my life and I'll go to the doctor. I said, so what you have done is said, I have no truth over what goes on in here, but whatever the doctor says, they're the professional. The doctor knows the doctor is the truth. And then all of a sudden we give up the power. You now you, you say, no, I defer that, that doctor is the one that knows truth. And I say, well, in that belief system, then if the doctor says you're going to die in three months and your mind says, I'm going to die in three months, that's the truth. Then the consciousness will cause you to die in three months because it's a program. You were not told you were going to heal yourself like your mother gave you. The average person still walks away with the diagnosis or prognosis that the doctor gives them and then uses those words as the equivalent of truth. Doctor says, oh, yeah, uh, you're going to lose your vision. And then you lose your vision. You go, wow, the doctor was right. I go, no, the doctor set up the, the belief that you're going to lose the vision. The mind accepted it because it said the doctor knows. I don't know. Doctor knows. Doctor says I'm going to go blind. Three months, I go blind. Why? Consciousness is creating the chemistry, which controls the genes. And all of a sudden, it says, oh, my God, we gave up the power of our health. We don't, we don't control our health for most people. No. The medical community controls my health. I go, wow. Wouldn't it be nice if they were beneficial? <laughs> I go, medical community is a corporation. <laughs> they don't give a damn. They, they make money. <laughs> and they make money when you're sick. Yep. You mean the medical people probably don't want to heal me? No. Not the medical people. The pharmaceutical people don't want to, you to get healed. Why? You're a customer when you're not well, and you're not a customer when you are well. So why would I want you to get well? I'll lose my business. So the pharmaceutical company offers you drugs that sustain you, but never give you the healing. You right. got a problem with cholesterol. Well, then you're going to have to take, you know, uh, you know, something to control your cholesterol level. Okay. Uh, and then we have statin drugs. And I said, well, how long must I take a statin drugs? And the doctor goes, well, how long do you want to live? Oh, you mean it's a prescription for life? And I go, yes, it is. You're hooked for your whole life on statin drugs. Little joke on the side, right? They don't work. They don't work at all. Actually, they do. They affect, ready? 3%. That means for every 100 people that take statin drugs, only three can get a benefit from it. And then I add another fact. Well, what are side effects? I go, ooh, statins have bad side effects. And I say, well, how many people have the side effects? About 23%. I go, wait a minute. Statins heal three people, but make 23%, uh, 23 of the people sick. I go, let's do the math. Why the hell are you taking statins? They don't work. And now we also find out a new one because uh, depression was always associated with a hormone called serotonin. And there are drugs that try to adjust your serotonin level so that you're in the right level of serotonin. Prozac, okay? Serotonin doesn't cause depression. It's not related to depression. The whole belief system of all the drugs that are like Prozac, they don't work. And I go, wow, you mean the, the, these are like placebos? I go, yes, they are. I say, how long is science knowing this? I go, 
I have reports from the uh, 1980s that Prozac is a placebo. And it's been known by medicine as a placebo ever since, but it's a good placebo. And I go, what do you mean a good placebo? I say, well, if you take a sugar pill, it's only like, I think it's going to work. That's a belief. If you take something like Prozac, there are side effects. You can feel something's going on. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can feel the drug is working. That enhanced the placebo effect. So Prozac works because it's a great placebo. It doesn't work because of the chemistry. And now we know that serotonin had nothing to do with depression in the first place. So all those drugs are useless. And yet billions of dollars are spent every day on drugs that are totally useless because we bought the story. Fun fact, humans take in more information in one day now than they did in their entire lives in the 1700s. No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our brains and bodies simply haven't evolved to manage this level of stress. And until that evolution happens, if we want to be well in mind and body, we need things that help alleviate this stress. For me, one of the key tools in my daily wellness toolkit that does this is the Sensate. And if you've been here a while, you'll know how genuinely obsessed I am with this product. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand and it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system while you listen to the specially composed audio within the app. I usually use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep to reduce cortisol levels, calm my brainwave states from the hectic day and send me into a deep sleep. Clients of friends of mine who have a Sensate have told me that their sleep has never been so good. People who usually struggle with sleep just wake up in the same position they went to sleep in. Everyone needs a Sensate in my opinion and I particularly recommend it to anyone who suffers from overwhelm or anxiety, and anyone who wants to deepen their meditation practice. And you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com Lauren30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. I have so many questions from everything yeah, let's you try just and said. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to try and condense them. I've written down about five already. Okay. Um, <laughs> the first one is, I guess, so like when I work with people, and uh, a lot of people used to say, "Was it which was the thing that healed you? Was it did homeopathy?" And I always say, "It's never. It was never one thing in isolation." And I still believe that. So if I we can have the most perfect diet in the world and you can treat your body really well. But like you say, if you're thinking bad thoughts and you have the belief that you're not going to get better, it doesn't matter what you're doing with your body. What I want to know is from your perspective, because I guess my perspective very much is the body is the vessel through which we experience this amazing life and we've been gifted this body. So we need to honor it as much as we need to honor the thoughts and, you know, kind of work on the belief side of things. So do you do you agree with that that in terms of yes we need to have the beliefs but also we need to be looking after the body and it is it is it's a it's a it's a holistic process. Well, you I'll tell you what you do. You have to look after the body when you believe that you have to be the maintain maintenance of the body. Right. I have to look after it. I have to make sure I do this and this and this. Oh, well, that's a belief issue. I say, do I actually no, here come this is going to be hard. 
do I actually have to do all those things? No. <laughs> because the idea is you are manifesting a creation right here. Right. And if you are living from the highest level of creation, you can walk across the fire, across the coals. Mm. If you're not living in the right consciousness, don't walk across those coals. You're going to burn yourself. I even show videos in the South, in the U.S., um, religious ecstasy. People work themselves up into uh, religious ecstasy. They, they speak in tongues, they say, where they garbling noises and they play with poisonous snakes because they say, God protects me. And here's the one I wanted to bring up. Some of them show that God protects them by drinking strychnine poison in toxic doses and have no harmful effects from one of the most toxic poisons. How can that be? And the answer is because the consciousness does not include that in, in their consciousness that this is toxic. That they also include what? God is between you and the strychnine and God will take care of that. You believe that and then your biology will do what your belief is. So they can drink strychnine poison. Would I recommend anybody? Would I even drink it with the knowledge that I have? I go, no, I don't trust my belief system. I'm not. <laughs> and, and also, yeah, that, what I was going to say to that, to anyone who's kind of going to counter that, it's understanding that when those people are in that, that state of euphoria, it's very difficult because people might go, well, I believe that I would get better or that my dad would get better and he still died. But it's very different kind of, because you've still got that programming and you've still got that disbelief, maybe. That's Whereas, hidden underneath. Like, it's called subconscious, it, meaning mm -hmm. that belief that strychnine is poisonous is a program that you got long before consciousness even kicked in. And if you believe it's poisonous and then you take it, well, what are you challenging right here? You're just saying, I'm going to do that. If you believe that you can be protected by God and take this poison, and then you take the poison with that belief and it doesn't affect you, then I go, yep, this is all consciousness that is creating this. Oh, Bruce is saying weird stuff. And I go, no. Quantum physics, the most valid of all the sciences on this planet, from theoretical insights to actually proving it, quantum, this, is, this is a fact. Quantum physics, principle number one, consciousness is creating your life experiences. And it says if you change your consciousness, then you change your life experiences. And I go, 100% true. And in biology, we now know the mechanism of that is called epigenetics where consciousness changes the genetic activity because of the chemistry of that conscious picture going to the cells adjusts the genetics of the cell. And all of a sudden it says, well, then biology now supports physics. They both say that consciousness is creating this. Easy to say. I can go in front of an audience, a thousand people and say, listen, here's how it works. And I show the physics that is all energy and blah, blah, blah. And they go, yeah, yeah. And then I say, what happens when they leave the building? I go, immediately go right back into the old program. They woke up for a minute because consciousness said, oh, look at this opportunity. But when they walked out of the building, 95% of their life was not coming from that new education. It's now coming from the old program. So you can offer the education. Does it make a difference to a person? I said, only when they decide to change the programming. Because you can have the smartest 
this is like I read a self-help book. I say, well, oh, you read this book? I say, did you learn? Oh, yeah, I've learned how. It's going to be great. I say, now that you read the book, did your life change? Nah, but I'm smart. I know that I that this is there, but my life didn't change. I go, significance. The conscious creative mind can learn things that we just talked about instantaneously. But the subconscious is habits, programs. Just because I just said and what we just talked about, about how powerful you are, not in the program. <laughs> and if the program is running 95% of the time, then I don't care how smart your, your, sub, your conscious mind is. Because it's not in control. Mm. And when is it in control? Oh, when you stop thinking. And I say, oh, when was that? I go, well, the example we gave earlier was falling in love. When people fall in love, they stop thinking. I go, well, why would that be? And I go, well, if you've been waiting for this person your whole life and now they're here in front of you, why would you be thinking when you're, that disconnects you? So when you fall in love like that, you stay what is called mindful. You stay conscious and if you stay conscious then you're not thinking and if you're not thinking then the conscious mind stays in control when you are thinking the conscious mind defers and the subconscious comes in so when you fall in love at first no thinking anymore you're present oh and guess what you become creative and i go you and your partner both all of a sudden are no longer playing programs you and your partner now are creating from wishes and desires which is what heaven on earth that's oh i want that i say well then you manifest it it's called the honeymoon and then i go but the honeymoon is frequently not a long period it's a short period i go well how come it ended and the answer is how did you get it oh i stopped thinking i stayed mindful but then I guess what? Down the road, you have a job, you have chores, you have responsibilities, you start thinking. I say the moment you start thinking, then the behavior that you're playing now is not honeymoon behavior. You're playing program from the past. So you have blah, blah, blah programming. You fell in love. There was a period you stay conscious right there. You controlled. You had honeymoon. Then you started thinking. And then when you started thinking, blah, 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 returned back again. And all of a sudden it says, oh, then the honeymoon was not an accident. I go, no, that was a creation. I go, but then how come uh, I can't maintain it? I say, because that came from the creative conscious mind. And if the conscious mind is thinking, then you're coming from the program. And the program that you got from other people doesn't necessarily support what you want. And now your life is a struggle because you're not creating now. Now you're back into program again. Mm -hmm. So the issue is this. We have blah, 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 programming, fall in love, stay awake, stay conscious, control the creativity with the creative conscious mind, honeymoon. And then at some point, thinking comes back in. You're back to the program again. Honeymoon is over. So the point is, well, the, the honeymoon could be there your whole life. Yeah, it could be there your whole life. Why? You created it. You could have kept it, but you had to think. And the moment you were thinking, you deferred to the programs from you got from other people. Now, the obvious important point, and probably one of the questions, number four or five in your list, is, well, what can you do about it? And I say, oh, you can reprogram the subconscious mind. 
and you can then be the creator of your program. And I said, simple conclusion. What if you took the wishes and desires of the conscious mind and programmed them into the subconscious mind? Ready? You'd be on a honeymoon every day the rest of your life. Why? <laughs> when you're thinking, you'd be playing the programs. I'd say, yeah, but you just put all the programs of wishes and desires and creativity in there. So when you defer to the program, you're still creating heaven on earth. And when you're not thinking and you're conscious, you're still creating heaven on earth. Then you're creating heaven on earth 100% of the time. I go, yes. And that is the destination. And now I'll be quiet for a moment because you have four more questions. So let's go. <laughs> I've got loads more questions. Those five were just the ones I wrote down while you were talking. <laughs> I've got loads more that I'd written down when I was preparing for this. But um, also just to kind of clarify, I guess, that what you mean by falling in love is doesn't mean one person has to fall in love with another person. Oh, right? We're creating you. that ourselves because I want this to be clear for say yes. the single person who's listening to this thinking absolutely but i can't find the person but by creating this heaven on earth within ourselves that you're referring to we then set up the environment to manifest that person into our lives if you're looking for that person but you don't even have to be looking for that person but that's what, what, it, what in was, terms of what if someone's was, trying, trying to manifest a great relationship they need to be in that state of love with themselves first oh my goodness now you touched on another one that was so important <laughs> And uh, so let me let me start with that one, because that's the most important one. And then we'll go back. OK, mm -hmm. the most important point uh, is that uh, we are we are creating all of this right now. OK, and when we got programmed for the first seven years, our parents were like teachers or coaches, a coach. Now, listen to this. If you're on a sports team and you have a coach and you're not performing to you know high enough the coach doesn't go oh please do better no the coach says that's <laughs> not good enough who do you think you are you got to work harder this you know you you don't deserve to be on this team blah 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 well a child on a team is older and is conscious and then takes the words of that coach you don't deserve to be on this team but takes it and says i'm not performing the best I can, if I perform better, then I will be deserving beyond the team. So that encourages me to do better. Now, if the parent is a coach and the kid is under seven and the kid is not thinking because consciousness isn't working, they're recording. And the parent says, that's not good enough. Who do you think you are? You don't deserve this. I go, the child's not like the older child thinking, oh, I'm involved in any way. The child's just recording. I'm not good enough. I'm not deserving. I'm not lovable. That's a recording. And then 95% of your life comes from those recordings. And I said, then well, what happened is if you, if you believe you're not lovable because you've been criticized and you ask yourself, am I lovable? And you look and you say, no, look, I'm not smart enough. I'm not deserving. These are the programs. Obviously, I'm not good enough. And therefore, guess what? You don't love yourself. I go, why? You become self-critical because your parents criticized you. So you pick up that mantle of criticism and carry it for the rest of your life. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. I go, but 95% of your life is coming from that. And then therefore your life has to match the program. If you have a program I do not deserve, then it would be so crazy if you started to deserve things. Because if you, but because then your mind saying, right. I do not deserve, then how come do I have these things? But the point is this, I do not deserve in the mind, your behavior will push away what you deserve. Mm 
Mm -hmm. I'm not lovable, then you cannot be loved by anybody else. And that comes back to the quantum physics you were talking about, right? In terms of how manifestation then works for us. Because we're broadcasting an energy into the field Mm -hmm. and the energy is shaping the material world. If your energy, if your broadcasts are, are, are disempowering, then your behavior, by dis- definition, is going to be disempowering. So when you brought up people don't love themselves, here's a fact that is so profound because I've been involved with belief change programs. You ready? When we ask people in these belief change programs, the belief, I love myself, 80 to 90% of every audience will not test positive for I love myself. And it all goes back to the first seven years where they were criticized. So in their subconscious mind, they're not good enough. There's all the criticisms. And and therefore, if you don't love yourself, you ready? You can't be loved by anybody else. Somebody says, I love you. Somebody says they love you and then you go, I know I'm not. Well, then you take their words and go, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And then what you will do is push them away. And when they're gone, guess what you'll say? See, I'm not lovable. Nobody's here. I say you unconsciously created I'm not lovable and that pushed them away. Mm. All of a sudden, it's like then you manifested your belief system. And, and the issue is because most of us were criticized yeah. During that very important seven-year programming. Mm-hmm. And those criticisms run 95% of our lives. Which is and why that, it's so important to go back and do inner child work and reprogram that. Yes. <laughs> Lauren, that's exactly where you, the whole thing comes down to. It says, well, if you don't change the program, you are the program. Mm-hmm. I say, for how long? I said, look, not all the programs in the subconscious are bad. Let's start off with that because a lot of people think, oh, the subconscious is evil. I go, no, subconscious is a hard drive in a computer. I say, is your computer hard drive evil? I go, it's not evil. It's a hard drive. It's got programs. Oh, I could have some bad programs in there. I go, well, yeah, you can. And I go, this is the same thing uh, uh, about us is that we have programs that we believe that we're not good enough. And these programs running 95% of the day will sabotage our lives. So at the end of the day, when you come home, you see, it didn't work. I didn't get successful. I didn't find a relationship. I couldn't heal myself. And I tried to get out of these things and and I still have them. And here comes the, the biggest problem. Subconscious means below conscious. Okay. When the subconscious is creating the behavior, you don't see it. Why? Well, first of all, where's your conscious mind? Because remember, the subconscious is only working when the subconscious mind's busy. I say, oh, well, the subconscious mind's thinking. Well, if it's thinking, it's looking inside. It's not observing the behavior going on outside. So the moment you're thinking and you engage one of your programs, good program, bad program, you don't know what the hell it is. Why? You're thinking. It's only the response to the program that we see. If I have good programs and good things are going to happen to me when I'm thinking. But if I have bad programs when I'm thinking, I'm going to play sabotaging behaviors. I'm the only one that can't see it. I say, mm-hmm. why not? Well, I'm only playing those behaviors because the conscious mind's not paying attention. So I'm the only one. So the same story, 40 years, still looking for the better one, not found it. You have a friend, you know your friend's behavior very well. You happen to know your friend's parent. 
One day you see your friend has the exact same behavior as their parents. So you want to offer them, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill, because I know exactly what Bill's going to say. Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. The audience laughs. Why? They all have these experiences. I said, that's the most profound story in the world. I go, why? Everybody else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Where do you get the behavior? He downloaded his dad's behavior before seven. But then why is he playing his dad's behavior? Because he's not paying attention. Does everybody else see the behavior? Yes. Does Bill see the behavior? No. Why? He's playing it when he's not paying attention. Ready? We are all Bill. Every day we're doing exactly what Bill's doing. Playing programs. Don't see we're playing them. See the result of the program. I want to be successful. Yeah, but my program says I don't deserve. So what's the point? I work all day. I come home at night. I didn't get anything. Why? Well, 95% of the day, my belief is I don't deserve. So I sabotage myself. Did I see myself sabotaging? No, you did it when you weren't paying attention. And then I go, then here's the end problem. When things don't work, people think they're victims. <gasps> this person interfered with this. This person caused this problem. That thing caused this problem. I'm a victim. I go, no, Bill, you were playing those programs all day. Sabotage yourself. You didn't see it, but you came home not successful. And therefore, you have to look at and say, why would I sabotage myself? And I go, not in your conscious mind, you would never do that. Your subconscious mind? Well, that's got a program. <laughs> As I said, the subconscious mind isn't evil. You know, here's, a, here's how valuable the program is. When did you learn how to walk, Lauren? Before you were two. I say, how long is the habit of walking once you've learned how to walk? How long can it work? I say, you could be 102. In a hundred years, you can still have the exact same program because habits do not want to change. So if you get good habits, you can have a hundred years of great habits. If you get bad habits, you could have a hundred years of sabotage uh, uh, and until we change the, those habits. I, so I want to ask about, obviously, the parenting side of it. But before we do, let's just go maybe into the slightly less esoteric and and. I hear a lot of women, especially, I mean, there's lots of talk about genes and stuff, especially a lot of women, very kind of um, popular idea now to go and get tested for the BRCA gene, especially oh. if, yeah, 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 I know it's like your favorite thing, especially if there's a family member that you know has had it. And then the yep. option is to go yep. and then have a double mastectomy or whatever it might yep. be. Uh, yep. Angelina you Jolie. You know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to give you the floor. Go. Okay. <laughs> Angelina Jolie says, look, uh, my mother died of breast cancer. My grandmother right. died of breast cancer. I have the breast cancer And then loads too. of women went and listened to her and went and did it. And, and yeah, they followed her it. because they said, oh, if you take your breasts off, you can't get breast cancer. I go, you know, the same gene, the same gene causes uterine and ovarian cancer. So... Not just take your breasts off. Maybe you have to do the whole hysterectomy kind of thing like this. And I say, you're, you're mutilating yourself. I go, why? Well, I have the gene. I say, the gene doesn't cause cancer. Huh? I go, 50% of the women that carry the breast cancer gene never get the cancer. And I go, well, what does that mean? You ready? Possession of the gene doesn't mean you get cancer. I said, then where the hell's the cancer coming from? I say, a lifestyle that is self-sabotaging 
causes cancer, not the gene. And that's why 50% of the women, they can carry the gene. So if you got the gene, I don't give a damn if you got the gene. It's your lifestyle that's going to determine the consequence if that gene is going to be activated or not. The gene itself does not cause cancer. There is fact of science. Not one gene causes cancer. No matter what cancer you're talking about, I say, no, that is a consequence of a lifestyle and a bad gene. If the lifestyle is good and you got a bad gene, then that bad gene doesn't get activated. So that's okay too. Okay? Well, because it makes it, it's quite interesting that people go and get this test, but they don't get tested to see if they've got a gene that makes them more genetically predisposed to diabetes and then they'll choose to stop eating sugar or any of the other hundreds of thousands of genes we have. Yeah. So, you know, you've got all these genes that could lead to something depending on your lifestyle. So, why focus on this one? Because the idea is that we have programmed the public to believe that genes turn on and off by themselves without you. So if you happen to have a cancer gene, it can turn itself on without you being involved. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden I am the victim of a cancer gene. Mm -hmm. I go, well, the first belief is totally wrong. Genes do not turn on and off. Genes are blueprints to make the, the complex molecules called proteins, which is what our anatomy is. Look, in the, this is a, a protein mechanism. I say, the proteins, where do they come from? I say, they're very complex molecules. I say, oh, the proteins are created from blueprints. I say, what are the blueprints? DNA. You ready? Now here comes the part. Yes, DNA is a blueprint. I go, you know what? Go into an architect's office and she's working on a blueprint. And you ask her and you go, is your blueprint on or off? And she would look at you like, well, you're crazy. It's a blueprint. There's no on and off. I go, exactly. Blueprints cannot activate themselves. Blueprints are activated in response to the environment and the consciousness. Change the consciousness and you change the genetic activity. And if you come from a negative, depressed, overwhelmingly bad programming, then all day long, you're supporting the concept that my life is not in harmony and cancer is a sign of you're not in harmony. That's mm -hmm. basically what it says. Did the gene cause it? No. Or is the, the, the uh, subconscious evil? I go, hey, man, I know how to walk. I know how to drive my car. I know how to do my work. I go, These are programs. Okay. So we have to get rid of the idea that programs are the, the subconscious is evil. It can have some bad programs in it. And the fortunate part is that you can put an effort in to rewrite those programs. So I know that you're really passionate about parenting um, <laughs> for this very reason, because listening to you talk, it is, it all starts with how we parent our children, how we've been parenting. So I guess the first, I'll ask the two questions in the same time and then you'll, you'll answer them simultaneously. So the first question is, as parents and for any parents listening, and I'm a parent, so this is, you know, very important to me, close to my heart. How can we ensure that we're not programming our kids into behaviors that will ensure, you know, uh, discordant behaviors late, later in life or health problems created as a result of that? And then how can we, if the, those of us who have already been programmed, which is everyone, because I also think I'm not a fan of toxic positivity. I personally believe that it's not just a case of being positive and thinking something. We've got to he go back and heal that inner child, heal that conditioning that created the trauma that led right. to this belief and this programming. So how, what is your formula 
for adults to actually heal this and stop it. And, and then so if someone's listening, for example, who wants to heal disease and is thinking, no. I'm ready, I'm ready to fully believe, but there is still something in me that just can't fully believe that I can get better because I never have been or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Being a conscious parent is simple in idea, but difficult to actually carry out. Very difficult. Why. Because a parent, just like anybody else, is working 5% from the wishes and desires. I want to be a conscious parent. Good. 5% mm -hmm. of the day, your behavior will be supporting of, I want to be a conscious parent. But then remember, the average person, 95% of the day is not coming from the conscious mind. It's coming from the subconscious program. So I go, yeah, 5% of the day, I'm a conscious parent. 95% of the day, I'm playing the same BS <laughs> that I got from my parents, which made me dysfunctional. And therefore, my kid is going to be dysfunctional. Why? Because they watch me 100% of the time. So they see me 5% of the time being the good parent. And at 95% of the time, they see me playing the bad programs. So I go, oh, it's not easy to be a conscious parent because the parents aren't conscious themselves. Okay? So, but this is an important part why parenting, when two parents are present, one could be the teacher to the kids. The other could be the observer going, oh, that behavior you just expressed was not really supportive. What? Because the person who just expressed the behavior, going back again to the story of Bill, expressing a program that they're not even paying attention to because it's an automatic program. They downloaded it from their parents. They're playing it to their kids. They're passing it from generation to the next generation. This is what has happened. And this is happening right now everywhere. I want to be a conscious parent. I go, good, 5% of the day, you will be. What about the other 95? I go, oh, whatever your program is, that's what you're going to be broadcasting. So when there are two parents, one could be the teacher at any moment, but the other is the observer. And if the observer parent looks at the teaching parent and goes, uh, the message you just sent wasn't really that good, then the teaching parent can become aware of subconscious programming that they're passing on that's very critical because you can't see your own subconscious programming because when you're playing it you're only playing it because the conscious mind's not paying attention so it doesn't even see the program okay so being conscious parent really requires that your own behavior is so good that when that child is watching you it's always watching the good program enhancing power uh, through that that child okay so that's the most important part. Yes, desire to be a conscious parent, that's first important. But manifesting conscious parent, well, that's questionable because only 5% of the time are you actually coming from the creative mind. So it's about healing our own programming first because without doing that, we can't pass it down to the children because then we're just, you know, you have to do, do as we, I do, not as I say kind of thing. Like that, they're not going to listen to what we say if we're not practicing that, no. preaching it or truly believing it ourselves. Because they look at us and go, well, yeah, you said to be really good, but now I'm observing you. You're not really good. Mm. The child is watching that and says, well, it can't really work. <laughs> look, you know. Uh, so, so the idea is this. You're absolutely right. I need to adjust my behavior before I have that child. And if I don't adjust my behavior before that I have that child, then I need a co-parent to be there to observe me being a parent <laughs> so they can catch me and say well you know well you were thinking the behavior that came out there was 
downloaded by the kid was not really good. And what about for the single parents out there? Well, that's the issue is uh, uh, how's your own programming? How's your life? Do you at the end of the day or the first thing in the morning wake up and go, what a beautiful life I have. What a great world I live in. How wonderful all the things are around me, the people in my community, my life. Every I celebrate my life. If you can do that every day, then that means somewhere along the line, the programs you are playing uh, are enhancing your life. That would be a good parent. Because mm -hmm. if the child can do that, say, hey, I had a great day every day. Well, then you've succeeded at that point. So the parent has to be conscious first. And then I said, well, what about the program? I said, well, we mentioned that. I said, your life is a printout. If you're struggling with someplace, you're struggling not because you are not entitled to something. You're struggling because your program says you're not entitled to something. And therefore, you don't want to change the world. That's too hard. You have to go in and change yourself. And that's where self-empowerment is coming from. And self-empowerment says... I can review my behavior and find out behaviors that I do not like. I said, well, now you want to rewrite a program. I said, how do you do that? And I go, well, this is where another complexity comes in. I go, why? The subconscious is called a habit mind. What's a habit? A program behavior, push the button, plays automatically. It's a habit. Boom, boom. Okay. And I go, well, it's called a habit mind. Go, well, why is that important? If that mind just changes, that's not a habit. <laughs> a habit resists change because if it changes, it's not a habit. So if you have a habit and you want to change it, it doesn't want to change because if it did, then it wouldn't be a habit. You have to learn how to reprogram. And there are ways to get in there that people don't recognize. The only way you can get into this habit is you have to put in the behavior that creates habits. I say, well, how did I get my habits? I say, for seven years, you were in a state of hypnosis. All you did was just observe and download a behavior. There was no filter. This is another important part. That first seven years of programming where you get your behaviors, well, there's good behaviors and bad behaviors. And I go, well, what does that mean? I say, when the behaviors were downloaded, you didn't filter out and say, oh, this is a bad behavior. I don't want it. I want this one. is good. I said, there was no filter. You downloaded good behaviors and bad behaviors. Everybody did. So now I have bad behaviors in there. What? I didn't filter them. But now can I see them? I go, yeah, look at your life. If you're struggling someplace, it's a behavior that's not supporting you. So you want to change it. I say, well, how can I change it? I say, well, how did you get it in there in the first place? <gasps> Hypnosis. I go, do I need to see a hypnotherapist? I go, no. <laughs> uh, um, the brain function theta, the vibration I talked about earlier, is part of a spectrum of vibration. When you're sleeping, you're at the lowest vibration delta. That's unconscious. Mm -hmm. Just before you wake up, the vibration starts to speed up. That's called theta. That's that imagination state. Okay. And then when you wake up, you're in alpha, a higher vibration, calm consciousness. And then when you go to work, you get the active consciousness. That's called beta, a higher vibration but it reverses when you come home. You left work with beta. You came home and relaxed. The vibration dropped from beta to calm consciousness, alpha. And at the moment your eyes disconnect from the day, the moment you went asleep, consciousness switch shut off, the next vibration is theta. 
Well, that's the hypnosis vibration. So if you put earphones on at night, playing a program of what you want to be true in your life, the moment you put the earphones on, if you're still awake, you can hear whatever the program is. But the moment you fall asleep, guess what? Conscious mind's not hearing any of this, but it's going straight into the subconscious. So you're creating a habit just the way you got it in the first place, hypnosis. Well, that's how you got programs for the first seven years. But you also got programs after age seven. You learn how to drive a car. You learn how to play an instrument. You learned a complex job. I say, how did I learn new behaviors after age seven? And I say, repetition, practice. You practice something and repeated it. And it's the repetition that builds into a habit. So the first way you got a habit you were uh, in a, a pre-conscious state, you were in theta hypnosis. After age seven, you're not in hypnosis very much now. You're, you're in consciousness. But now, if I want to make a program driving a car, then I got to practice driving a car. So I want to change a program. I have to practice a new behavior and repeat it and repeat it because that's how you learn something, okay? Uh, new age talk. Fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I go, what does that mean? I said, well, you're not a happy person. I said, but you want to be happy. I said, but I'm not happy. I said, then here's what you do. All day long, whenever you can, just comes into your mind. Say yourself, I am happy. I am happy. In the middle of being miserable, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. The message I'm repeating is I am happy. I am happy. I am happy. Guess what? Repeat it enough. And one day you wake up and you're already happy before you got out of bed. Why? Mm -hmm. Once the program is in, you're, you're programmed to be happy all the time. Oh, well, how do I do that? Repetition to do that. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, the most uh, uh, effective change in the sense of speed is a new process called energy psychology. And these are modalities of psychology, not like the old version. Let's go over and talk about your history. Who did what to who? Your mom did this, your friend did that. And I say, what are you doing? You're replaying these programs. I say, what good is that? I say, you're reinforcing the same damn program that you keep problems with, you know? I say, no, don't reinforce the same program. I don't care what happened in the past. There's an old thing, uh, don't kill the messenger over the message. I go, what does that mean? I say, somebody came into your life, influenced how you, uh, you maybe made a negative impact on you. And I say, and then the rest of your life, you say, that person made a negative impact. That person, I say, that person's not there anymore. You were programmed. You carry the program. You don't carry the messenger. So I don't care how you got your program. That's not relevant. I care that you have a program because it doesn't make a difference how you got it. You just have to acknowledge I have a program and I want to change the program. I don't have to go back and change the person or be involved with that person. They're not even here anymore anyway. So energy psychology doesn't go back in history and say, how did you get there? It doesn't really care. It says, where are you now? Where are you today? Where's the limitation today? I don't care how you got there because the limitation is still here. I say, I want to change the limitation. I go, well, then it doesn't go back and change the person that taught me the problem. I don't care about them. They're gone. We have to start to recognize that uh, the behaviors that we're playing, we're manifesting them now. They're programs. How you got there, that's not relevant. 
you got there because you're there now. And energy psychology is like super learning. I go, what the hell is super learning? So sometimes people read a book by just moving their finger down the page. As fast as they move that finger, they could read every word on that page, complex or not, just like that. They can be in a bookstore and turn the pages of a book and just mm-hmm. read the book. As fast as they can turn the pages, they can, they can read a whole book in a number of minutes. If you could use that super learning ability to rewrite a program, you ready? You can change a belief you had your whole life 15, 20 minutes. And this is completely different than hypnosis or repetition. These are time, you gotta take a lot of time to do that. So energy psychology, my website, brucelipton.com. I have over 25 different modalities of energy psychology, a little description of each and a website where you can follow it up. These are so profoundly important because we don't have a lot of time <laughs> to change. We have to change as fast as we can. And energy psychology is uh, an invention of nature. You know, necessity, <laughs> uh, you know, is really required here. We have a necessity to, to change. And so the new idea, energy psychology, has come into our world because we need to change fast. Because our behavior as a collective human civilization is destroying the planet and creating our own extinction. And this process is not a thousand years from now, not even a hundred years from now. We're going extinct in this century if we don't change our behavior radically. And that's why energy psychology to me. So brucelipton.com, check it out because we're on a short fuse here because uh, we have been uh, as human behavior undermining nature and then therefore undermining our own existence. And this is why it's nature says, okay, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. We have a necessity to change fast. We have a new fast way to change energy psychology. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. I know that um, also Zach Bush talks about this with our extinction and, and, and it's so important. I don't think there's anything that could be more important than us changing our behaviors today. But that's because we're the cause of the problem. It's not that we're just out here as victims or anything. No, we're causing this problem by the way we're behaving. So if we want to change the the world, then we have to change our behavior, not the world. Mm -hmm. We are the problem. So uh, and I and I hope that people listening kind of really it's something that we can just brush over our shoulders because we we don't we don't want to hear that you know it's difficult to think that our extinction is in our hands but i really <laughs> hope anyone that's listening is is really thinking about okay what can i do right now to stop that to change my programming and to to change the biology of my own beliefs so i can move forward you know in this healing state so i really would recommend everyone visit bruce's website and, and move forward with that I appreciate this because basically it says uh, uh, we are participants in this evolution. We're not just mm-hmm. passive, you know, wait for the evolution to occur. No, we are the creators of that evolution. And if our behavior doesn't support the evolution as it is right now, our behavior is actually compromising our existence on this mm-hmm. planet. We need to change fast now. And so uh, thank you for this opportunity to uh, at least inform people we're not victims. We're the creators. And if you don't like the creation, don't go out and change the world. We have to change ourselves. And then the creation gets better. What a beautiful note 
to end with well just before we will move on to the 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 all about you rapid fire round if that's okay yeah the first one is wellness is fill in the blank okay wellness is living in harmony that's basically what it is are you living in harmony with the world are you in conflict with the world conflict Mm -hmm. is where the illness comes from harmony means you're flowing with the with the music that's one of the nicest responses i've had to that one um (laughs) The biggest life lesson you've learned that only came with age? Uh, was the lesson that I'm the creator of my own life versus I'm the victim of my genes. Once mm-hmm. that happened, it says I went from passive to active. Passive, genes did this. I don't know. I'm just here. Active mm-hmm. is I want to change this. And I did. That's when we get power. What's a question you ask yourself the most? <laughs> I don't know. I'm always just following the next thing that's going on. And, and fortunately, the vision I'm broadcasting is things that are so wonderful and welcoming that I, it's like, what's next? I have no idea. You're just in the present moment. That's where, that's where you have to be. Because if you're in yeah. the past, then that means you're not paying attention to the present moment. Yeah. If you're in the future, that still means you're not paying attention to the present moment. Are you here now? That was the whole idea. And, and most people are not here. So they're missing all the inputs, the stimuli, the beautiful planet we live in. How many of them have watched sunsets? Mm. Be, oh, no, I'm on the road. I'm coming home from work. I'm going to work or whatever. It's like that. I said, you don't even see the same sunset? <laughs> Part of my life is, yeah, it's evening. I'm closing down. Let me watch the sunset. Mm. I'm part of this thing. Uh, and so it becomes important to you're living in the most beautiful environment perhaps in the universe we don't even know mm-hmm. and, and people are not here now they're just busy running running the machine running it's like you got to stop and take it in stop and smell the roses <laughs> yeah well you know like i said, I said to my husband a few weeks ago like we, we we recently moved and we live opposite like the, the woods and we walk into the woods a lot and I said to my, and all my friends that I take, you know, that we go for walks and I said, just stop, let's just smell the forest. And everyone's like, I've never done that before. And I just think those moments are so vital to our being just to stop and like appreciate all this amazing nature. It's just wonderful because people fail to recognize a garden is the height of cooperation. Mm-hmm. And we came from a garden and lost it because we're the ones that are not cooperating with the garden. We're telling the garden what we want. It's like, no, no, you're part of the garden. You have to learn to live in harmony with the rest of the garden uh, and stop telling the planet what we want because by doing that, we've upset the web of life. And it's like, no, as you said, go out there and, and experience this place because most of the time your head is not on the outside. It's thinking on the inside. You're missing this planet while you're thinking yeah absolutely so i know that you're due to come to london this week right oh yes i'm very excited about that yeah i'm looking forward to it. it's going to be great amazing well um this will come out a few days after your um your seminar which is a shame it's gonna be it was great you should have been there oh that's you you should have been there yeah my future (laughs) thank you so much for all your wisdom all your knowledge your generous time that you've offered but you know just for everything you give to the world and i'm so grateful that you've shared that with me today and my audience so thank you so much i appreciate that opportunity because it's really the message for the audience that says we're in a garden maybe you didn't notice it 
but mm. now it's time to notice it. And garden is cooperation, not conflict. And once we start cooperating with each other, once we start cooperating with the garden around us, harmony will return to this planet and that's our destination. And we're either gonna go to harmony or we're gonna go extinct. And right now, I don't know which way we're gonna go. It's 50-50 the way I see it. And uh, thank you for this opportunity because the more people that wake up, the more we have an opportunity to, to go into the future as a garden. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much once again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconditioned. I am honestly so grateful to each and every person that tunes in. Thank you also for taking responsibility for your own well-being. You should know that just by choosing to listen to podcasts like this that further your well-being, you're moving more deeply into abundance consciousness. Now don't forget I have a bunch of free resources over at laurenvacneen.co.uk as well as every recommendation you could ever need in regards to your well-being on the LV Recommends page, all categorized for your ease. Thank you also to our sponsors. These episodes would not be possible without them, so make sure to check them out and get some pretty awesome discounts on the show notes. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get updated each time a new one is released. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate you.